Sunday. Good, good. Um, well, we are continuing our series, Unreasonably Loved or, or Unresolved, and really our goal here is just to be able to, to take a look back in time, to be able to look back into the history of God, you know, kind of unfolding His promises, unfolding His covenants, and be able to see that God is faithful that God's word doesn't change. And hopefully as we look through these narratives, look through these different stories, that what we'll see um, is that this story of redemption is continually unfolding. And, and redemption as we know it in, in, our, in our age, as, as the cross of Jesus Christ, as his resurrection, um, is going to be something that's going to be made deeper as we understand more of the context of, of God's Word. And so a couple of weeks ago when we started off the series, Pastor Mark led us and spoke about the, the unresolved promise of, of a king. You know, that, that King David, taking a little step back in time, King David was promised that through his kingly line that he would have an heir who would be the Messiah, that Jesus Christ would come through this king. And then Pastor Eric talked with us last week about the, the unresolved promise of purification. You know, that God desires to make us whole, that he desires to make us completely clean, and he will wrestle with us, and he will, and he will wash us, and he will work with us and strive with us by his spirit to make us completely clean. But, but in, this, in this unresolved promise of purification, what we saw was this sacrificial system that was designed to reveal to us the, the consequences for our sin and at the same time let us know that there's a serious problem and there's a serious need for redemption if there is life that is perpetuating death. God wants more than that. And so this morning we're talking about kind of taking another step back um, even further to the very beginning um, before the nation of Israel even existed with a man that God said um, he would use to, to bless all of the nations of the earth, Abram. Um, so as we, as we kind of process through this, there's a lot of commentary on these stories in the book of Hebrews. And as I was reading through um, some of Hebrews, uh, I saw these things where, where the author was saying things like, all right, this is, this is some of what these people have gone through. They were people that, that didn't receive the promises of God in their fullness. They didn't see the completeness of it. They saw it at a distance and were content and satisfied. They said, all right, God, what, what you've given me and what you've revealed to me right now is, is good enough. That's, that's okay. I'm content with that. I'm, I'm willing to not experience the fullness if I can have a relationship with you. They recognized that they were not created for temporary pleasure, but for eternal fellowship with God. And because of this, as they wrestled with it, you know, they, they said, all right, I'm going to abandon the old ways. Occasionally, they dipped back into them, and God would say, hey, where are you at? What are you doing? Come on, come on back to me. Get, get back on the path. But they were looking for a place that was better than the temporal world. They were looking for, um, as Abraham said, he's looking for a, a city that didn't have foundations. A city that was, that was in the heavenlies. A, a city that was not based on something tangible, but on something spiritual. And because of this, the commentary in, in Hebrews tells us that this is why God is not ashamed to call these people his people. He was, God was not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a place for them. 
And it's not that these people didn't experience God. They certainly experienced him. It's just that they didn't experience the fullness of the promises that he had laid out. And it was because of this, this fact that, that God was not willing to let them get to that point of, of completion and fulfillment and perfection apart from us. And these verses in Hebrews chapter 11 are, are kind of the foundation of what we were basing this series on. In verse 39 it says, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. But how did they journey? How, how did they stay in this tension? How did they stay in this place of, all right, God, you have promised me everything. You have promised me redemption. You have promised me purification. You have promised me blessing. But you know what? The world around me looks a little different than what you promised me, God. How did they wrestle with this? And the truth is that they wrestled it with it by faith. Some of them victoriously. If you read more in Hebrews, and it says some of them, they, they stepped up and they said that, that your methods of, of worldly justice are not good enough, and they overthrew kingdoms. Some of them, like Daniel, they shut the mouths of lions, or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they said, we will not bow down to any other god, and they stepped into the very flames of the fiery furnace and came out unscathed. Some of them were victorious. Some of them escaped death, and some of them had their weakness exchanged for strength. But some, by faith, they endured suffering. Some of them, they, they, were, they were sawn in half, and they were stoned to death. And some of them were mocked and whipped and chained and thrown in prison. And some, some of them were tortured, refusing to turn away from God even if it meant their freedom. They were too good for this world, wandering the world over deserts and mountains and, and, and hiding in holes because they said, the things of this earth are not more important than my God. His promises, his truth, his faithfulness, his never-ending love for me, it's more valuable than my body. Do whatever you want with it. It doesn't matter. And so whether it was in victory or whether it was in suffering, by faith, these people persevered. They made mistakes, huge glaring mistakes just like you and I. And yet through all of this, God transformed them and God molded and shaped them. So today, we too just continuing our, our sojourn in faith and we're going to look back at about 4,000 years about 4,000 years to this man named Abram. It's kind of remarkable to me just to think of, of looking back at, at 4,000 years of recorded history, of 4,000 years of the story of God's faithfulness. I don't know about you, but you know, every once in a while, I just kind of struggle, struggle with being the center of my own universe, you know, where, where my whole worldview kind of wraps around my, my 37 years of life on this earth, and, and I am kind of the filter for God's faithfulness. And it's nice just to be able to look at, at this and go, no, there's, there's 4,000 years of this story of God building and promising and bringing about redemption and working and it always starts the same way. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12 today. 
as God calls out and, and calls Abraham, Abram to himself. It's the same kind of context that we know of when we, when we read through the Gospels, when we, hear, when we hear the voice of Jesus to his disciples saying, hey, come and, come and follow me. Leave everything behind. Find that pearl of great price and give it all and come follow me. And that's basically what, what God says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Read with me. He says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Here's Abram's reality. He, he lives in Ur of Chaldees. It's, it's a very, it's a very um, kind of prolific and, and prosperous place. It, it's a place where there's a lot of idolatry. There's a lot of wealth and, the, and there's a lot of goodness. And at the same time, there's a lot of deep wickedness. And so Abram is, has lived here uh, and his father Terah kind of took the first steps kind of outside of that a little bit and they moved to Haran and that's really as far as they made and then God calls Abram and says, listen man, I've got more for you. But here's Abram's reality. He's married, his wife is barren, he has no children, he has minimal possessions and, and he sees this, this promise of God, this promise of blessing and he's living in this world of idolatry and he says, you know what, God... <laughs> That sounds good. God, God, what you're promising, that, who, who are you? God, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I know you in, in fullness, but, but I'm willing out of this experience, out of this encounter with you, to respond. Out of, out of you telling me that you want more from me, I'm willing just simply to answer by faith and to go on this journey. He, obe he obeys with immediacy but not completeness. This is often our story, right? All right, God, I, I, I'm excited. Here I am, I'm ready to take a step, but you mind if I just kind of take a few things that are comfortable along, along with me on the journey? And, and so Abram brings his, his nephew Lot along. God says, leave everyone, but he brings Lot. So he begins this journey. He, he leaves Haran and he heads to Canaan. And, and he comes to this place inside of Canaan and, and he sets up camp and God meets him. As soon as he enters the land that God, had, that God had promised him, God meets him. He has another encounter with God and he worships God. And this man who is a sojourner, who is a wanderer, who says, I will, I will give up permanent residency somewhere to follow the promises in the hope that God has something better. I will live in a tent. At the same time, he sets up something very permanent. He worships God and he builds an altar. And this is a pattern. He goes to another place, resides in the hill country, taking the next step further into God's promises, and he, and he builds another altar. And everywhere that he goes, he leaves a reminder of God Almighty. Everywhere he goes, he leaves a tribute to the promises of God. Well, along the way in our journey of faith, I mean, every single one of us have these challenges. We have these, these obstacles. We have these, you know, um, some call them 
put a little positive spin on it, you know, some call, oh, they're not obstacles, they're opportunities, right? You know, yeah, whatever, you know, thanks. You know, yeah, take, your, take your glass half full thing and drink it, you know, like uh, it, the glass is empty here. This is an obstacle. This is impossible, you know. And Abram comes face to face with this because all of a sudden in the promised land, in the land of, of God's promise of blessing, there is famine. There is destitution. There is nothing available. You ever try to help out God? Hey, God, um, there's a little problem here. I know, I know you got it under control, but I can handle this. This is well within my realm of sovereignty. I've got this all figured out. And so Abram looks around and he sees Egypt, the land flowing with milk and honey at that time. Hey, Egypt's got it going on. Let me go on down to Egypt. But what happens is, the language there is that, is that Abram takes a step off of the road. He begins to sojourn. He begins to wander in a different way. He takes a step off of the path that God has called him to. And it leads to some problems. He's got a hot wife. Sarah is very fair, the Bible says. And Abram enters the land of Egypt and he begins to go, hey, oh man, the Egyptians, they're powerful, they're strong. I'm nobody here Hey, Sarah, do me a favor. Just tell him you're my sister, which isn't a complete lie. It's just a little lie. You're my half-sister. I know it's weird. It's just the way it was back then. Don't marry your sister or your half-sister today, please. It's illegal. But he steps out, and, and, he, and he begins to take the next step of, hey, I got this. I know how to figure this out. We'll just tell this little lie. No, no, she's not my wife. That way they won't kill me and take her from me. But the, the Pharaoh sees Sarah and he takes her for his own. And God pours out these plagues upon Egypt. And Pharaoh calls Abram and says, what is up, dude? I don't know what your problem is, but God is angry at me and I'm pretty sure it's your fault. And so he kicks him out of the country, and he gives him a bunch of gifts, he sends him with some amazing parting gifts um, out of the land, back to Canaan, and Abram is just kind of like, oh, wow, whoo, God, I survived that one. That, that didn't really go according to plan. I, I almost lost my wife there. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And he, and he gets back to the, to the first place where he encountered God. The place that he had worshipped God. And it says that Abram cried out to God. Some translations, New Living, it, it says that, that Abram worshipped the Lord there. Other translations, a little bit more specific. Abram called on the name of the Lord. But, but really, I, I think it was a little bit more than that. We don't have the specific language, but, but if you, we don't know what, what Abram said to God or what God said to Abram. But this is what we do know, that, that the words that are used there in Abram calling on the name of the Lord was kind of like somebody verbally accosting you. That's what it's saying. There was a certain element of hostility. There was a certain element of just crying out. And I'm sure there was frustration and then there was angst and there was this, this God, I really, I thought that you were going to provide for me and I thought you were going to do this promise and, and then there's this famine and I don't understand what you're doing, God. And where are you? And why, why aren't you blessing me? 
if you read through the Psalms, there's a lot of this going on in the Psalms, right? David has this amazing way to communicate in this, in this heart that is after God. He has this amazing way to communicate this reverence and this praise and this awe of God. And at the same time, often in the, within a couple of verses, this angst and frustration and God, I don't know what you're doing and why are you letting me suffer? And then coming right back to worship because he knows God is faithful even though he doesn't understand all of God's ways. And I think God likes it when we come face to face with who we are in light of who he is. I think he wants us to deal with those things. I think he wants us to wrestle and to work out by faith and he wants to set us straight and to lavish us with his love and his blessing. And I think that he wants us to come face to face with our weakness and our frailty and our short-sightedness and our lack of control. And God sets Abraham straight and he reorients him and he gives him again the promise, Abram, God said, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through your descendants. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars of the sky. And here he's, he's foreshadowing that, that the Messiah, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. The Messiah, the deliverer is going to come through you, Abram. And what you call dead, your wife's womb, I'm going to give you more descendants than you can even count. He takes Abram out to the night sky and says, see all that? Go ahead. Start counting, buddy. I'm going to give you more descendants than that. You're not going to be able to understand or fathom the fullness of the blessing that I'm going to do through you. So Abram continues, he reorients, he walks, and after a decade of following God now, at about the age of 85, Abram begins to kind of go, you know what? Hey, um, 75, I was old enough, you know, but now 85, and now my wife Sarah is 75. We're kind of getting past the whole childbearing years. God, um, this seems pretty impossible to me. You know, I'm, I'm having some problems in this area, you know? And so Abram listens to the voice of Sarah, okay? And after a decade of following God, Abram has a one-night stand. Sarah, according to a cultural custom, goes to Abram and says, hey, listen, you know what? This, my womb's dead. Nothing, nothing's coming out of here. Um, we, we need to do something else. We need to help God out, okay? And so according to this cultural custom, what I want you to do is I want you to take my maidservant, Hagar, have sexual relations with her, and then, hey, maybe God will bless it. And maybe, maybe, you'll, maybe she'll conceive. And, and maybe this is the way that God wants to bring about his blessing. And so, after this one night stand, a son is conceived. And his name is Ishmael. I don't know if you know the story of, of Abram. I don't know if you understand the, the fullness of the history of what happens. But, but on that night... Another son was conceived, and, 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 and nine months later, another son was born. This, this Ishmael who, through him and his lineage, came the nation of Islam. God called Abram to be a blessing, to create a people, the nation of Israel. And out of the loins of one man, out of one attempt, trying to, 
to help God out. There's this huge divergence. And all of the the history and the problems of the Middle East flow from this night. God even tells Hagar, your son, he's going to fight against everybody. He's going to be filled with hostility. We have these challenges, right? We, we see the promise of God. We hear where he wants to lead us. And sometimes we want to take things into our own hands. When Renee and I, my wife, when we, when we first got married, um, we really felt like God had told us individually that, that, that he wanted us to wait five years before having kids. And about two and a half years into our marriage, uh, I had this incredible conviction, like God does not want us to be in control of when we have kids. And were, there was this, this contradiction, all right, God, you, you, you don't want us to have kids until, we're, until at least five years of marriage, and yet you're telling us to stop being in control of this. God, what are you doing? You're crazy. We ha- this, this is what is necessary so that we don't have kids, God. And he through much prayer, he, he, he just took that out of our hands and he gave us the faith just to be able to say, all right, God, it's all about you. We went another two and a half years. We, we got pregnant with our, with our firstborn one month before our five-year anniversary. And there's so much more to that story of just God unfolding his faithfulness and the timing and the blessing coinciding with my father's death. Amazing things, things that you can't plan out. Blessings that, that you never would have been able to map out or, or hold on to or even dream of. And yet God lavishes upon us in his love. So we, we begin to, to have kids. And it's funny, all of our kids in, are born in June within a couple of weeks of each other. You know, and God just continued to unfold his plan. Well, along the way, as we begin having children, God gives us this other conviction. Hey guys, Dan and Renee, I, I want you to raise your children. I don't want you to rely upon other people. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to do daycare, and I don't want you to do these things. I want you to raise your kids. We are facing this conviction, and we're like, God, what, how are we going to do this? Because, God, you called us to live in this particular house that, that requires both of us to work full time. And, and there's really not a, lot, a whole lot of, of way around this. And, and God, you're asking the impossible. There's no way for us to do this. And so we began to try to, try to work out the finances and wrestle with the budget and, and, and pray and, and cry out to God. And God, we don't understand. And how is this going to be possible? And finally just, all right, God, we just have to, we just need you to give us favor. We just need you to give us a blessing. God, we need to, you to work this out where there is no way. And, and my wife's work, out of 150 employees, she was the only one that was able to get a split schedule. And she would work in the office three days a week, and she would work from home two days a week. And I had my own business, and we started this split schedule uh, of caring for our children at different times. And it morphed, and it would be different days of the week, and then it would be half days. And it was hectic. It was a blessing. I was able to know my children. Such a wonderful gift. And in and through this, three different times, we experienced the challenge you know, we face these obstacles. Some people call them opportunities. I tend to look at them a little bit more like Peter describes them. You know, he says, the fiery trial, which is to try you. Yeah, I get that. That's what I feel. My name's Daniel. 
I understand, you know, the, the lion's den and the, and the fiery furnace challenges of my friends. No, that's, that's what's real to me. No, this is not fun. This is not an opportunity. This is hard. And the only way I'm going to go through this is by faith. And three times her work came to us and said, listen, we need Renee back in the office full time. And three times we came back to them and said, listen, our God is telling us that we have to raise our kids. She can't come back in the office full time. It's kind of weird to communicate that to your place of employment, right? Really? You're, you're God? Yeah. God has a different plan for us. You may or may not be part of it. <laughs> I'm not sure. And each time they, they came back and they said, all right, well, fine. <laughs> Have it your God's way. And, and they gave us the split schedule, just continued, continued, continued until finally, um, a few years ago, two and a half years ago, they came back to us and gave us two months notice and said, come back in January or you're fired. And we said, all right, you better start looking for someone else. We got three kids. We live in a house that requires both of our incomes. I cannot provide for my family on a, only on my income. That's not how it works. <laughs> this is, God's called us to do all of these things, to be in all of these different environments, and we're God, God, this is impossible. And that's the language that I used, and that's the language that I had to repent from. Because they came back after looking for somebody and not being able to find anybody. They came back in, in late December. We hadn't even bought Christmas gifts because we were like, we're broke. <laughs> we're not going to have any money in about a month. We will survive for about four months on, an, on the finances that we have. And then, who knows, foreclose the house, move in with mom. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, God. But they came back a week before Christmas and said, listen, we couldn't find anybody to fill your position. So um, you're going to have to go part-time with benefits. You can't come back full-time. And we said, really? Thank you. Because that's exactly what we had asked them to give us three years before that they said was impossible. And it was exactly the blessing that God desired to do and that we had prayed about for years. God, let, give us more freedom to be able to invest in our family. Give us more freedom. Give us the faith to step into these areas. Well, in mid-February of this year, God called us to something else. Said, I got a new, I got a new land for you to step into. And, and he told us that Renee should resign from her job. Finances hadn't changed. <laughs> there was no windfall, no wealthy uncle passed away and left me a fortune. The, no, the finances were exactly the same, and God says, resign. And so we did. With fear and with trembling and with, with the unknown, we we didn't know. We only knew. God, you're calling us to this, and this is what we need to step out into. And they came back and said, we're not going to let you resign. What do you want? And we said, well, we'd like to maybe work about 20 hours a week, and that'd be cool. Oh, sure, we'll do that. And, and here, here, let's do this. Work 80 hours a month whenever you want. 
keep your four weeks paid vacation, keep your 12 days sick leave, and we'll continue paying you retirement based on your income. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you, God, for the blessing. I never even would have known to ask for that. That's awesome. And we begin to step into this place on March 1st where my wife gets to stay at home with our children. And I get to be more active in my community. And we're both stepping into a place of productivity and prosperity and blessing because of answering the God, God's call in the midst of this fiery trial. And it is hard. It is dangerous. It is risky according to the ways of the world. But according to faith and God's word, it's a sure thing. You better believe it. God always works it out. Well, about 13 years go by, and Abram does not hear from God. 13 years go by of, of, of strife and tension and, and this new life. And is, is Ishmael the son of promise? And, and is this really what God intended? And what's happening? And, and at the age of 99, God comes to Abram, and he says this in Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. El Shaddai, God Almighty. It's the name of God that, that over and over in the story of, of the Bible is, is used as a, showing this characteristic of God where he steps into a, a, a place and is able to transform situations of human helplessness. Where this characteristic of God it shows the ability to transform situations miraculously. The, the, the God of limitless power to step in and transform, transform, I can change. And in this moment, God says to Abram, all right, Abram, you know what? You're no longer Abram. You're no longer father. Now you're Abraham. Now you are the father of a multitude. And your, and your wife, Sarah, Sarai, she's no longer dominative. She's no longer gonna control you and, and, and sway you. Now she's gonna be Sarah, princess, queen, nobility. From her, I'm going to burst forth the fountain of my blessing. And you, Abraham, you're going to hold the son of promise in your hands at this time next year. Abraham's 99. He's going, what? And the Bible actually records he laughed at God. And the Bible actually records that Sarah laughed at God. I've laughed at God. This is impossible. No way, God. How are you going to do this? And yet, at the ripe age of 100, Abraham holds his son of promise, Isaac, in his hands. At the ripe age of 90, the poor woman, she bears and gives birth to a child. At 90. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Grandma, come on. It's amazing. And God does this miracle, and he brings forth, out of, out of death, he brings forth life. And he says, do not call dead what I call alive. And out of this, he gives Abram the covenant of circumcision. 
forever sealing that God's people are to be a people of circumcision, the sons and the daughters of Abraham, not just the physical circumcision, the circumcision of the heart, like it says in Colossians chapter 1. That God cut away, cuts away the, the flesh of our heart, the foreskin of our heart, so that we cannot live by our fleshly desires, but live the life of the Spirit. And God gives this forever covenant and a daily reminder for Abram, Abraham. Hey, I am your God. And he says, this is what you're going to do, Abram. Abraham, at, at the age of 99, you're going to go and you're going to be circumcised and you're going to circumcise, circumcise every male in your household. And Abraham does that. I think if I was a servant, I would have had one of a, a question or two, you know. Oh, so it's Abraham now. Abraham, I get that right? And God said, what? Oh, God spoke to you again, huh? Circumcise your household and the flesh of the foreskin. Okay. You sure he didn't say your skin? Come on, man. I got to No, but, but the whole household went through and, and experienced this and submitted to God's design. Because God's people, the people of God, the people of promise are different. The people of God repent. The people of God turn away from what God calls sin. And the people of promise live in God's commandments and receive God's blessings. And we have to be careful not to confuse the love of God with the blessings of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter whether you acknowledge him or not, whether you, whether you keep him at some impersonal distance or not, or whether you hate him. God loves you. But in order to receive and experience the blessings of God, we have to follow God. We have to be obedient to God. And the greatest blessing that we can ever have from God is to know him is to grow in our understanding of who he is, is to grow in our trust for him, and to grow in our obedience to him. We know the rest of the story. Isaac, the son of promise, comes out, and God called, called possible what Abraham and Sarah called impossible. And for us, it's a great reminder in the story of faithfulness, in the unresolved promise of blessing. He didn't see the fullness of it, but man, he saw some amazing things when he was obedient. A great reminder that let us not call what is dead what God has called alive. And close out with this section of scripture in 1 Corinthians. It's a challenge for us. And listen to these words. It says, For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling you the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. Lord, we struggle. We struggle with the fiery trial. We struggle with the things that we see and the things that we feel and the things that are tangible, the things that we understand that, that seem to be contradictions of your word. Lord, I pray that your truth would set us free this morning. 
pray that by faith, uh, whatever it is that we're wrestling with and whatever, whatever fiery trial that, that is before us and whatever we are saying is impossible, that we will repent, that we will turn to you, that we will fall face down on the ground before you and worship you and, and, and give you all of our angst and all of our frustration and, and everything that is inside of us and at the same time give you all the reverence you deserve and give you all of the worship of our hearts. Lord, make us a people of faith. Lord, make us a people that, that burst forth as bright as the noonday, a people that shine and reflect your glory. Make us a people who are set on a hill to reflect who you are and to draw all people to you. Help us to glorify you. And through the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.